Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, turning your Bibles with me this morning to Esther chapter 3. I want to introduce myself. My name is Brandon Henson. I'm the lead pastor of Anchor Church. I'd say that because I know we have some new faces with us today, and I just want to personally welcome you and just let you know how glad I am that you guys have chosen to be with us today, that you would spend your Sunday morning with us here at Anchor. It's a great morning to be, uh, to be, we say, in the house of the Lord. And I know we're in a school, but the great thing about the church is actually not a building, it's the church is a people, and so we, we are the house of the Lord, the, the body of Christ. And so um, just an amazing, amazing Sunday. Man, this weather just keeps on giving. It's just like, it, like last week felt like fall. We had the little, remember last week I said it was probably false fall, then we had 90s this week. So, so, we're, so we're just relishing in all that cool breeze and just the, the crisp fall air, man. It just makes me excited. Hey, Esther 3, this morning we're going to keep going through the book of Esther um, if it's your first time through the book of Esther, um, then join the club, because I know it's, it's not always a book that we run to. It's, it's a rarely read book in the Bible, because again, there's no, thus saith the Lord, there's no real prayer passage, there's not even a mention of God's name, but his fingerprints are all over the story. Now, let me just, let me just ask you a question real quick. What do you think of when you hear... The following pitches. Ready? I'm, I'm just going to sing something for you. Ready? How does it make you feel when you hear those two pitches? For you music nerds out there, it's called a minor second interval. The two keys on the keyboard that are right next to each other. What kind of feeling does that invoke? Unease, right? Tension, yeah. Yeah, so, so this is literally the point in the book of Esther, chapter three, where those tones start to drone on, where we get some but up, but up, or bump, 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 or all the different kind of tonal things they do in movies, or maybe some, some, some screeching, because it's going to get downright evil in the story of Esther. And we've already seen the brokenness in Esther one and two, Right? We saw the brokenness of King Ahasuerus. He's the ruler of the Persian Empire. Remember, he threw the huge party and just, just um, was just a total, total, um, just prideful display of the kingdom of Persia and all at the expense, ultimately, of the queen. And then Queen Vashti gets taken, her throne is taken from her in just the ugliest way. And then they have this beauty contest to see who's going to be the new queen. And God prepared an orphan girl adopted by her cousin Mordecai. We met Esther last week and Mordecai, remember? And Mordecai adopted Esther and Esther gets gets uh, accelerated through this beauty contest, we'll, we'll call it that. We talked about how last week, how it was, it was, it was much more gruesome than that. Um, and just, again, just, just the brokenness and the sin and just the muck and mire and the messiness of the story. She gets accelerated to the top, and God's favor was upon Esther. There's these moments in life where God grants us a gracious favor, where it's like we... Things just seem to happen, right? 
They just, they just seem to, the pieces are just falling in place. And we, and we really do owe that to the Lord because he has those seasons. Yes, sometimes it feels like things are falling apart and we can't get it right or, or things are falling apart around us. We don't know how to fix it. But there are those moments in life where God, where, where God puts his favor upon you and just, and just things just are seamless and they happen. And this is what happened with Esther. And so she is accelerated to the top. She becomes queen. And at the end of chapter two, that's where we were left last week where uh, Esther is queen, but then there's this assassination plot against the king, against King Ahasuerus, and Mordecai, her adoptive father, comes in. He tells the king about the assassination plot. And so what do you think a king would do for a guy like Mordecai who's going to reveal an assassination plot? What do you, what do you think the king might do? You think he might at least say thank you? You think he might at least give him an attaboy, might at least give him, uh, I don't know, like a gift card or something or you know, just anything. And we're left with nothing. You know what, what was done for Mordecai? Absolutely nothing. But on the other hand, his co-worker, another royal official, Haman, Haman is promoted. We get introduced in Esther 3 to a character named Haman. And you'll see at the top of your Bible there, in, in, in your heading, whether you're on electronic or physical copy, you'll see it's Haman's plan to kill the Jews. That's right, this evil man named Haman comes along. And Haman is accelerated to really like the king's right-hand man. I mean, he's essentially the prime minister. He's like the COO. He, he's given this important position. Have you ever had that happen to you? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with an organization. You see, but like you see, you see someone undeservedly get accelerated into a position of leadership. And you just think to yourself, really? You know, I've had that happen before at workplaces where I, I have put in time and I have done the right thing and, and, been very punctual and just tried to try to do the right thing and just be a, a good contributor. And then someone else comes along who doesn't contribute, who's prideful, who like all the things, right? And then they get the position. We've all experienced that, whether, whether it was something in school or whether it's with work. And so this is how Mordecai is feeling. He's like, really, Haman, that, that guy? And so all this took place in verse one. We're just going to pick it up there. After all this took place with the assassination plot being revealed and now King Ahasuerus, he honors Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. We're, we're going to get there. It's kind, of, it's kind of a mouthful. All right, we're going to unpack it. But he promoted him in rank and gave him a higher position than all the other officials. So right out from the get-go in Esther 3.1, we see injustice. We see the wrong thing happening instead of the right thing. Now think about our world today. Think about your life. Think about your story. How many times have we come face to face with injustice, with the wrong thing, whether it was happened, maybe someone offended you. Maybe it was a friend of yours that was wronged. Maybe it was a situation at work or with school or in your family, and it's just the wrong thing happened, and it's not going to be fixed. That's that feeling of injustice. It's why we love superhero movies so much. It's why we love that whole superhero realm. It's why I'm such a huge Batman lover because there's just some craving for justice to be done that's wired inside of all of us. God put that there. He put that inside of you. He put that inside of you to, to make a difference. 
and to crave that. And the justice that we desire only comes really through God, who is perfectly just, but God is going to work among this injustice. Now, let's paint three scenes this week. We're going to cover three scenes every week just to make it a little more simple. Um, So scene one, here we go. If you're taking notes, go, go ahead and write down scene one. Scene one is an old enemy with a new name. An old enemy with a new name. And this covers verses one through six. Now this had been several years, I mean really about four years of peace had gone by. Esther's on her throne. Hazarus is doing his thing. And just Haman's just working his way up in the ranks. He's promoted to this, this highest position and all the other officials, including Mordecai, who had been a faithful servant of the king, for quite some time at the city gate. And look at verse 2 here. The, the entire royal staff at the king's gate, what did they do? They bowed down. They bowed down. They paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. And so we have this situation where it's ordered by the king. Like, hey, when this guy walks by, can you, can you imagine? Like, Actually, this happening in your life. Hey, when this person walks by, you are to bow down before them. That's so weird to us, right? But in this Persian culture, it wouldn't have been super weird for um, people in Persia to bow before the king or bow before officials. Um, It wouldn't have been as weird to them. But for Mordecai, it was kind of a big deal. Now remember, Mordecai is of what ethnicity? He's a Jew, right? He's of the Jewish People of God. And so for Mordecai, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal because in Jewish law, in the first five books of the Bible, in the Torah, there's one thing that you should never do as a God fearer, as a worshiper of the God of the Bible. There is one thing you should not do, and it is to bow before men and to give homage to anybody. So this, this language right here, really, it's not just a respect of a royal official, like we're to respect those in office around us and give, give respect to our um, you know, political officials or even the president of our country, regardless of how we feel about uh, this side or that side or policies or whether we think they're doing a great job or not. Like That's not what this is talking about. To pay homage to someone, Mordecai was expected to essentially worship this guy as if he were a god. And the law of God in the first five books says, you shall, you shall serve no other gods before me. Remember the Ten Commandments? This is a worship problem. And Haman was such a prideful dude that, 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 that he demanded worship from people. Now, this sounds extreme, but there are people like that around us in our lives, right? That this, is, this is a classic narcissism where a person like Haman will, will, will think they're, they're the most important person in the room. All eyes should be on me. It should all be about me. And it's about building my kingdom and my way. And just So Haman is definitely this kind of guy. And he's not just any old guy, though. Remember back in verse 1? Look at that with me again. He's the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. So who are the Agagites? Make a long story short, way back in the Bible... When God's people were freed in Exodus, remember Pharaoh and Moses comes with a staff to you know, let my people go and part the Red Sea and God sets his people free. You remember that story? Prince, Prince of Egypt, you might have saw that movie. So God's people are free. They're in the wilderness. 
And the first, one of the first things that happens to them are these people called the Amalekites. They show up and they attack them. And now, I don't have the time to tell you all the backstory with, with that particular people group, but just know that, that Haman's lineage goes all the way back to those Amalekites that have attacked Israel and have been a thorn in their side from essentially day one of their freedom. And even after that, in the book of 1 Samuel, there was this king named Saul. Everybody like, looked at Saul. He was tall. He was handsome. Everybody thought he was going to be a really good king. It turns out he was a pretty terrible king. And Saul was supposed to defeat the Amalekites. And what, he did, and what Saul did was compromise. He compromised God's plan. He did not soundly defeat them. He did not take them over. He did not rid them of the Amalekites. He actually, he actually let a lot of them survive. He actually let a lot of them uh, hang around. And so the fact that Haman even exists to begin with is a reminder of Israel's failures. Why do I tell you all that? Because context is important. And trying to read the Old Testament with Jewish eyes, when we read this, and to, to really grasp the, the depth of the story, a Jewish reader would have looked at this and instantly the second the word Agagite would have been there, would just been like, <sighs> you know, just this, they were rivals. And it was a reminder that they did not get the job done, that Israel was not faithful to God. And remember, God sent them away on exile to Babylon and to Syria because they're unfaithfulness, but now he was bringing them back. And now even amidst this man named Haman, just this evil, evil man, we're, we're gonna get into his character in a moment. But look at what happens here. They're commanded to bow down, to pay homage. But verse three, the members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai. So all the, all the king's gate guys start noticing, hey, Mordecai's the only one not bowing down. Why are you disobeying the king's command, they asked. Now, when they warned him day after day, he would not listen to them. And they told Haman to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated. They said, hey, he's, he's real brave when Haman doesn't notice, but let's, let's call him out and see if, he, see if he compromises. And so they tell Haman, and now Haman is aware, and they give him a very important piece of information. You see that at the end of verse four? Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Remember, he told Esther not to tell anybody, but now he, he, he shares his ethnicity and his, and his religion and his faith. Now, why did Mordecai pick this point? Well, because friends, there's, there's a time in your life, we talked about this a little bit last week, there, there is a wisdom window to share your faith. There is a wisdom window. Sometimes it's wise to not hide it, to not be embarrassed. Jesus says we should be bold and full of courage and shine like a light. But we have to be very strategic in how we share our faith. We have to be very winsome especially as Christians in a mostly um, uh, hostile to Christianity world that we live in. And so he told them he was a Jew. They tell Haman, and what happens in verse five? Check it out. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him homage, what's the response of someone that expects worship and doesn't get it? Makes him pretty angry. He was filled with rage, filled with rage, when he learned that Mordecai's ethnic identity, he, he learns that he's a Jew, oh, that makes it even worse. It seemed repugnant to Haman to do away with Mordecai alone. So he planned to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout Ahasuerus' kingdom. And so what we have here is really a threat. This isn't just a personal vendetta between two guys. This is now escalated to literally 
God's very promise that he made in the beginning to a guy named Abraham in the book of Genesis. If you want to jot down Genesis 12, we actually put it up on the screen. Dwayne's got it back there. It's that last slide that I told you about. When the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house, he told Abraham, go and I'll show you where to go. Because God didn't always give us the blueprint, right? Sometimes he just says, go. I'll tell you when you get there, kind of a thing. But then verse two, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Pay attention to this last part. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise that was the foundation of when Jesus Christ would come many, many, many years later to die on the cross from our sin, for, for our sins. The book of Galatians helps us connect those dots. And so why am I talking about Abraham back in Genesis when we're in Esther? Because this promise was in jeopardy. God promised, hey, Abraham, from your descendants, I'm going to build a nation. I'm going to bless you guys. You guys are going to be a blessing to everyone else. And the gospel essentially is going to arise from your family, from this great family. And so this is what is at stake. If all the Jews are wiped out, then God is not faithful. Then God, well, God was kind of right, but things fell apart. And sorry, things just aren't going to work out. And so this is a big, big, big deal. Now, again, Ahasuerus, this king, he's a weak, insecure puppet of a king who lacks self-control. But Haman, Haman's different. Haman was this prideful, vain, narcissist of a guy filled with hatred and violence. Haman reminds us a lot of the devil himself. And we're going to get into that a little bit as we go into the second scene here. So not only is this an old enemy, so this old grudge between the Amalekites, the Agagites, and the Israelites. But we have here in scene two, the enemy's attempt to destroy God's children. And all stemming from a threat to that promise we just read. Let's just go ahead and read verse seven together. In the first month, the month of Nisan, in King Ahasuerus' twelfth year, the purr, that is the lot, was cast before Haman each day in the month, and it fell on the twelfth month the month of Adar. So when they made decisions back then, they would essentially roll dice. They would just cast dice like crazy, okay? And so just hang, hang on to that because that was, I mean, that was really, they were superstitious like you wouldn't believe. Um, you think uh, reading the horoscopes in the, I mean, I can just remember, I mean, nobody reads the newspaper anymore, but I, I can just remember when the horoscopes would be in the newspaper. When I've, I mean, I am old enough to know what reading the funnies was like, okay? Did anybody else read the funnies out there, anybody? And on Sunday, they were what? They were in color on Sunday. It was the, oh man, okay, very, very cool. Good, good times. You know, Haman reminds us of everything that God hates as we read this passage. Let me just remind us real quick. Proverbs chapter six, verses 17 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, ready? Haughty eyes, it means arrogance. You think you're all that. The 90s phrase was all that in a bag of potato chips, right? You think you're all that. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person that stirs up conflict in the community. Man, it sounds like a, sounds like a narrative on social media, doesn't it? it? Sounds like a day on Facebook. But um, yeah, so these are the things that God especially hates, and all of them are present in this enemy of Haman. And so... 
we get this second scene here. The enemy's attempting to not just to not just get revenge on Mordecai, but on the entire Jewish nation. See, Satan's plan since the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam and Eve were tempted to eat the fruit, ever since they did, and ever since uh, the first man and woman fell into temptation, this curse was upon every every other human that would be born after that would would be a slave to sin. Essentially, we're all born that way. We're all born to drift towards sin unless someone does something about it. And so all of that came from the devil himself tempting them in the very beginning. Ever since then, Satan's objective was to get anyone who would even think about doing things according to God's plan off track, but not just off track, completely destroyed. So since that very beginning, that has been the devil's plan. And in the book of Esther, we see it. We see another advance from the enemy. And so not only that, but we see in many other Bible stories, we see stories like Joseph in the Bible. We see stories like Pharaoh ordering the destruction of all the Israelite babies in the book of Exodus. I mean, just like these moments that came for the Jewish nation was like, how are they going to survive now? Like, how, how, how is this promise from Genesis 12 going to ever happen? And we come to those moments in life, don't we? We go, how can anything good comes from, come from this? Has God forgotten about me? Even David himself wrote in the 13th Psalm. He said, how long, Lord? He asked all these questions in the Psalm. He says, how, how long will you forget about me? When are, when are you going to do something? Is that, is that where you are in life right now? Maybe you are this morning. Maybe you're like, when is God going to change this situation? How is he going to work in this? I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. And I'm just here to remind you again, I know we've kind of commented on this every week, but it's on purpose because we're so, we, including myself, like we are so forgetful about this, that God is at work in your life. He is writing a story that none of us can take credit for. He is, he is at his draft board ordering your steps, helping you. Each and every relationship in your life is intentional. God has put people around you to help you. He's led you here this morning to help you. And so just be encouraged. He is right beside you. Now, truth mixed with half-truth, mixed with exaggeration, and mixed with full-on lies. I mean, that's pretty much what we get with Haman. I mean, he's going to employ all of these things here in the next little bit. Haman informed King Ahasuerus. Look at verse 8 here. He says, hey, hey, King, we got a problem. There's this one ethnic group, just just this one, scattered throughout the peoples in every province, all 127 provinces of your kingdom, keeping themselves separate. Their laws are different from everyone else's, and they do not obey the king's laws. That really got his attention. It is not the king's best interest to tolerate them. If the king approves, let an order be drawn up authorizing their destruction, and I'll pay 375 tons of silver I'm going to read that again. 375 tons of silver to the officials for deposit in the royal treasury. So much here, but in short, Haman literally does all the things I just said. There's half-truths, there's exaggeration, and this is what the devil does. There's just a few things that I want to guide you through. I have a little outline just to kind of help us, just kind of some ABCs to put up here. The first one is that the devil is often 
rational and logical in the ways that he will tempt you. See, the devil's lurking around every corner trying to throw you off track because he doesn't want you to move any closer towards God. And we're just going to expose that this morning. We're going to talk about it for a moment because, and, and we've all experienced temptation and we all have those things in our life that are especially tempting or things that we're struggling with right now. Or maybe there's a present addiction in your life or maybe there's just something, that, there's, there's just a sin in your heart. You're just like, man, I love Jesus and I, I believe he died for my sins and I'm a, I'm a Christian, but this one's just still eating my lunch. Like I just really struggle with blank. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, the devil can be rational and logical, and we all know this because sometimes we can argue our point. Well, it's not technically this, or, well, you know, there's this and that. We kind of get that inner lawyer sometimes, right? We, we, we start justifying our actions. And I, almost, I can almost hear my mother telling me this and some mentors I've had in my life that love me enough to tell me the hard things. They say, man, if you find yourself having to justify what you're doing, then that's a pretty good clue you may not be doing the right thing. If you feel like you have to defend it, why do you feel like you have to defend it if it's the right thing? Just, just do it. And so the devil can be rational and logical. The second thing is that the devil thrives on exaggeration. This will happen in your relationships, whether you're married, whether you're single, uh, no, matter, no matter what relationships we're talking about whether it's a significant other or friendships or work relationships or family relationships. You guys know how this works, right? You do that all the time. Every time you do that, you always do like these exaggerations. It's like, um, you know, it's, it, it's like the most basic marriage advice that you could get, but it's the most amazing piece of marriage advice you could ever get is, is when you are having a disagreement, to not, to not exaggerate, to not, to not say, well, you always do this, because that's probably not true. They probably don't always do that. It probably just feels that way. It feels very visceral. It feels very intense. And so the devil will come along. He thrives on exaggeration. And what does he say in the book of Esther? He says, hey, these Jews, like they're always disobeying your laws. Not true. They're everywhere. They never do what you say. So he's exaggerating. But what does the devil also do? Last thing, the devil is often, and this is huge in this particular chapter, he's bent on revenge. He's bent on revenge. Friends, revenge is never satisfied. A vengeful heart, please watch out for it. Let me ask you a really tough question this morning. Whose face on the dartboard in your heart do you have sitting there? You know what I mean? Like that person, like if there was anyone's face on a dartboard, that you throw dark. Like, is there someone like that in your life? Be honest, you know? It's, it's tough. I've had to work on it too. I've had to forgive uh, some pretty big stuff. But you know what? God's forgiven me of a lot. And I have to remind myself of that. When I'm angry with that person or when I recall that hurt that was done to me in the past, I have to remember of how much grace God has had on me. And then I'm reminded that Jesus said, hey, the same way you've been forgiven, now you are to go and forgive. But Haman's the complete opposite of this. He's not only an antagonizer, but he is bent on getting this vengeance. And you'll see that theme carry through. But please, I, I'm just imploring with you this morning, be careful of a heart bent towards revenge. I'm gonna get my own. They're gonna get, or, or even what should be there is a desire for justice. But what we do, the Bible says in Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I shall repay, says the Lord. We trust God with it. He's the judge. He's the one that's gonna, that's gonna dish out every appropriate punishment that there is. He's the one that's gonna handle it. We trust our Father. 
and we let go of that. Because the more we try to control those things, the more control it has over us, and, and bitterness will just absolutely destroy a heart. And so I was sharing that with you this morning to invite you this, you know, maybe, maybe this morning during our response time, like this is a key time for you to just say, you know what, I'm gonna, yeah, I, I, I've been holding on to that. I've been losing sleep over that still years, years ago, and I'm gonna give it to God today. I'm gonna just trust God with it. I'm not gonna let the devil uh, uh, tempt me with, with, with just this vengeful spirit. And so just, we trust that God will bring about the right thing. And so, friends, in this story, at the end of scene two, we're about to get to scene three as we close, but the gospel itself is under attack. Don't miss that this morning. If God's people are destroyed, guess what? God's words through the prophets, throughout the whole entire Old Testament, every promise that God's ever made, it's gonna fall short. Turns out, God's not faithful. That's what we're up against. And so this is huge. This is, this is a monstrous initiative that Haman is starting here. If the Jews are destroyed, all hope is lost. Christ is not going to come and die for our sins. And so the stakes are high, and we have this third scene, and we commented on a little bit earlier, but we're going to really look at it here. In scene three, the enemy appears victorious. And let me just encourage you this morning. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what season you're in or coming out of, or maybe starting a new season, maybe stuck in the same difficult season for years and years and years, the enemy appears victorious, but the enemy's not victorious. The enemy only appears victorious in your life. And this situation that we find in Esther, this is only temporary. Oh, but it didn't feel so. Oh man, it felt like it was. It felt like an eternity. It felt like, man, this is this is gonna this is gonna ruin everything forever. I mean, this is this is literally the worst thing imaginable. And in verse twelve, the royal scribes were were summoned, but before they were summoned, the king actually removes his signet ring. You remember what? I don't know if you've ever learned about that in history, but a king had a signet ring. It was literally his signature. They would they would they would write this decree. They would roll up. The scroll just like this, they would put some wax on it and the king would, would press his ring in there. And when that was done, you could not change it. And so the king literally, he doesn't, just, he doesn't just sign off on it. He gives Haman, listen to this, he removes his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman. This highlights the foolishness of Ahasuerus, by the way. He literally gives him a blank check and says, go for it. Remember, Haman offers to pay 375 tons of, of silver without getting into specifics, this is, like, this is like two-thirds of the entire royal treasury as is. And he's going to add on to it that much. And Haman had that much money. He was extremely wealthy from what we know from history. But in verse 11, we see the king told Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with you as you see fit. But then like we said in verse 12, the royal scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and the order was written exactly how Haman had commanded. Do you know what day this is in the Jewish calendar? When this edict went out, this is the first day of Jewish Passover. The first day of Jewish Passover. At the worst possible time, the worst possible news was released. Have you been there before? Worst possible time, worst possible news. And we find ourselves again, just like every just like every Jew that would have read this originally would have, would have seen this circulating in the Jewish Old Testament in the same way we as 20, 
21st century Americans looking at our Bibles this morning, we think, how can something good come from this? Who can fix this? It's done. It's a done deal. There's nothing that you can do about this. And even worse on Passover, it was intended for the royal satraps, the governors of each of the provinces, and the officials of each ethnic group, and written for each province in its own script and to each ethnic group in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the royal signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to each of the royal provinces, so this would have taken about 90 days to get the message out. And the order says the officials were to destroy and kill and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, plunder their possessions on a single day, the 13th day of Adar in the 12th month. Now what's significant about this, remember I said they rolled the dice, they they actually rolled the dice for each day of the year and kind of add all that up and see which day. This day was going to be on basically like almost exactly a year away. So there was this huge span of time. You would have thought Haman was so filled with rage he would have wanted to do it the next week and would have, would have just made it done. But again, God's timing is perfect. There's this huge gap of time and God is going to work in this gap of time. Remember, God's timing is always perfect. It's his time, it's his way. And in that gap, oh, Haman's gonna love it because he gets to think about it all that time. He gets to, it's almost like he's thinking about Christmas morning of next year. You know, he's, he's looking forward to it, but it's gonna give enough time for, for more of Esther to happen, for chapter four to happen. So we're gonna go on in the story. We're gonna talk about that gap of time next week. But look, look at the text here. We're gonna, we're gonna finish up with this. So a copy of the text issued as law throughout every province was, distri- was distributed to all the people so they might get ready for that day. The Jews are panicking. The couriers left, spurred on by royal command, verse 15, and the law was issued in the fortress of Susa. The king and Haman, listen to what they do. Go figure. They sit down to drink. Hazarus loves a party, right? They sit down to drink. And what's the state of the city? The city of Susa was in confusion because evil feasts on confusion. But our God is not a God of confusion, right? The Bible says that our God is a God of of order, not of chaos. That God takes all the chaos and sin and brokenness in the world and he brings it back into order and he does it through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He will not allow his covenant to go unfulfilled. There is no real threat to God's faithfulness. It is as sure as anything you could imagine. God will bring his plan. Esther is chronologically at the end of the Old Testament. So we've seen from Genesis to Malachi in your Old Testament, a God that promises his children blessing, prosperity, a future, and most importantly, a home. And the way we say it around Anchor Church is everyone needs an anchor. Everyone needs an anchor. And our default mode, our default factory mode is no anchor. It's brokenness. It's the the sin in our lives makes us feel unsettled. There's this missing piece there and we don't know what it is. Something's missing in our lives. And that piece is just 
right for the Lord Jesus to step in and fill that gap. And for me, for a long time, I'm telling you, I spent nearly two decades of my life trying to fill that gap inside my heart with other things. I tried to fill it with music, but it wasn't enough. I tried to fill it with relationships, with earthly relationships, it wasn't enough. I tried to fill it with other sinful things, it wasn't enough. Nothing was ever enough. Something was always missing. And then at just the right time, Jesus stepped into my life. He'd been there all along, though silent at times. He was still with me. And at just the right time, he drew me close and changed my life forever. And he can do the same thing for your life. He really can. Many of you are sitting here right now and you're like, oh, I know. Man, he's, he's changed my life greatly. Remember that this morning. Thank him for that. Never, never get over your own testimony, Christians in the room. Recount that testimony. Because you know what we have to do when things like Esther 3 show up? The only, the only response to this that's even remotely appropriate is to go back to what God has said. To go back to, and that's what every Jew would have done. They'd be like, but Jeremiah, but, 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 he, but he says I have this new covenant coming. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and it's going to be great and the temple's going to be rebuilt and there's going to be this, and then you know Isaiah, there's, there's going to be this Messiah coming, this suffering servant that's going to, that's going to Fix everything. All his promises. We have to return to those promises. Friends, let me encourage you this morning. When things around you seem broken, there is one response. There's one response we have, and I hope, I hope and pray that it's, that it's a knee-jerk response for you. I hope it's where you go. If it's not yet, that's, that, that's okay. Just, just take this as a cue this morning. Go to the Word. Read the promises of God. Read his promises. One of my favorites, I've quoted a few times in the series, and I'll quote it again just so we can maybe remember it, but Joshua 1.5, and really all the way through verse 9, but Joshua 1.5 says, I will be with you the same way I was with Moses. I will be with you. I will never leave you. Remember this verse? I will never leave you or forsake you. God promises his presence. He promises to be with you. He's with you right now. His spirit is guiding you this morning, even through this message, to remind you something about him, and then God will prompt your heart this morning. I trust him in this, and he's faithful to this. He will prompt you to do something with that. So what's your takeaway from today? What's your takeaway today? Is it, is it a fresh trust in God that even though things are falling apart, that he's going to write a story that we can't take credit for? Is it to let go of a potentially vengeful spirit and a bitterness towards maybe someone in your life that you just still have that broken relationship that's there? And in the dark corners of our heart, we wish harm upon them or, or we wish that you know, they get what's coming to them and just this, just this bitterness inside of us that we just need to let go and just let God heal. Or maybe today your next step is to simply start a relationship with the God that wrote this Bible, that authored every pages of the scriptures, every promise that he's faithful to. He wants to draw you close. He wants you to be close to him. And that only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We just simply cry out to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I, I need you. I, I know I'm a sinner. I trust that you died on the cross for me. I believe you were risen again from the grave because Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back. And he did that to show that he has victory over sin and death and all the evil things we talked about today. The evil's not victorious. Evil only seems victorious. But it's, but it's a charade. Jesus has already defeated sin and death. And we operate out of victory. And maybe today's the first day that you start operating out of that victory. You say, Jesus, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Just tell him this morning. Just pray to him. Right there where you sit.
You, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. You can just pray right where you sit and give your life to Christ. And you know what the Bible promises, one, one, one of those other amazing promises from God? Everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God knows your heart. He knows, he knows whether or not that you're sincere in that. He can see straight into your heart. Let that be a comforting thing that draws you closer to him this morning and not that pushes you further away. Can I pray for us? Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful, so thankful that you're faithful. God, you continue to work wonderful things in the presence of evil, of suffering, trial and turmoil. God, I'm so glad that that there, that there is a future and that there is a hope available for each and every one of us in the room. You tell us in Jeremiah, you tell us in Jeremiah that you promised that there's this, that, that, that there's a prosperity available for us. And Lord, we know that that doesn't mean Lamborghinis and mansions. Lord, you're, the, the prosperity is the person of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, you are our treasure. We get you. And we're so thankful that you offer yourself so freely, Jesus, even though it costs you so much on the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for being raised again. Thank you for proving yourself to be faithful. Lord, I just pray that as we, that as we read these lyrics during this response time and as, we, and as we learn a new song together, that we just would not let fear, evil, dominate in our lives but that we would push back the dark that we would that we would be anchored in Jesus Christ that you would truly be the anchor for our soul God I pray that if you're moving in someone's heart this morning Lord I just, I just pray that you would just move them to make you Lord Jesus the anchor for their soul draw them close God into a relationship with you Lord free someone this morning of bitterness God may they give it over to you free someone this morning of the battle with temptation that they've had, Lord. Maybe the devil has been very rational and logical to them lately and they just need to, um, Lord, just come to you and just expose a lie that's been there all along and just embrace your truth. God, whatever our response is this morning, I just pray that we would all respond. And I pray that you would help us to do that, that the power of your spirit would be in this very room, helping us to call out to you and to worship you. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.